Welcome back to Puckcast with Statsman and AJ Rotowire's Fantasy Hockey fo- Show, folks. I'm Paul Bruno coming to you from just north of Toronto in uh, Ontario, Canada. And you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host, as always, is AJ Scholes. who's a great follow at AJ Scholes24, based in another hockey mad area in the United States, specifically Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. That's very close to Rotowire headquarters over in Madison. We welcome AJ this morning. How you doing, partner? Doing good, doing good. We're, uh, you know, getting into the the home stretch here ahead of the deadline. We're going to have excitement on figuring out who's buyers, who's sellers, who's going where, who's doing what. Exactly. There's lots to chew on. And I guess the top headline this week comes from Toronto. No surprise there. It's the hockey <laughs> mecca of the world. And anytime there's an incident such as the Morley, Morgan Riley hit on uh, Ridley Grieg after the Ottawa at the end of the Ottawa game against the Leafs on Saturday, it's going to draw major headlines. The hearing from Morgan Riley will take place after the show is recorded here today. Uh, we are live on Tuesday, uh, February 13, at 11 o'clock. The hearing is going to be early this afternoon. It's been changed to a, a phone interview uh, because of the weather implications in New York. It's nothing to do with the change of hard by the Department of Player Safety in terms of their intentions. And I think they have a pretty good idea where they're going to go with this. And uh, I have a feeling the Leafs are going to get a, take a bit of a screwing here. But I'm going to make my case, AJ, and I want to hear what you have to say in terms of a rebuttal. But I'll draw on two prior Leaf suspensions to bring him, bring my case to the forefront at the moment. You remember a couple of years ago, the Leafs played an outdoor game against Buffalo and Austin Matthews, a major star in this league, took three cross checks at Rasmus Dahlin's neck in retaliation for some physicality from Dahlin in front of the net. That was not borderline illegal, but certainly Matthews' reaction was. And he was given a two-game suspension. A star in the league, no prior record of incidents. So that's part of what I want you to think about. Then, another incident, Jason Spezza uh, cross-checks Neil Pionk of the Winnipeg Jets in retaliation for an incident earlier in that game and it was clear that Spezza almost dived at him with his stick up front and cross-checked him in the upper body near the head. And he got initially a six-game suspension. It was later reduced to four. There have been other incidents, including Jake, Jacob Truba this year, cross-checking an opponent, slashing him actually across the side of the head, not the neck, but the head. He, he got nothing more than a fine. Brad Marchand a multiple-time offender, he uh, did a slew foot on Timothy Lilligren, driving him into the boards face first. Lilligren missed 13 games for that incident. Guess what the penalty was for Marchand? Zero. Zero dollars, zero games. So the Department of Player Safety, I think you can easily say, from what I'm telling you, has been very inconsistent with the way they're doling out punishment. I think they want to make a bit of an example here of Morgan Riley, though. And I, I suspect that the incident is going to merit something in the area of four to five games. And the Leafs will be out without their top defensive player for that length of time. A very tough blow for a team that finds itself in the middle of a dogfight for a playoff spot. Couldn't have happened at a worse time. But the incident that preceded it, the slap shot into the empty net, goes against what they call the code in the NHL, where you're trying to show up the opponent. It's frowned upon by the players, and George Peros was a former player, but this guy's had a hard-on against the Leafs ever since he lost a fight and was knocked out in that fight 
when he played for the Montreal Canadiens, and Leafs have really taken a screwing from from the player safety department. And I think this is going to be another incident today. I'll throw it over to you for perhaps a more balanced opinion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, look, I will start by saying uh, what Greg did was was dumb. Uh, there's no question about it. Unnecessary, dumb. Um, does it warrant a cross check to the face neck area? Maybe not. Maybe a couple punches. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think I think if if uh, if Morgan Riley comes in, drops his stick, and just clobbers him in the face, we're not having uh, anywhere near the discussion if the stick is not involved. I, I think that's kind of what a lot of people are seeing. Uh, and what a lot of people are maybe upset about, um, it probably, maybe it still gets a hearing cause you know, it's, it still probably would have drawn a lot of attention, but maybe that's a phone hearing and you get one or two games, you know, and to, to quote, uh, the mighty ducks, as I always like to, uh, two games, well worth it would have been in, in that case there. So, uh, I, I think that's the line here. I think, uh, Riley should have dropped the stick and then just gone after him that way. Um, I, I do think it was a dumb thing for, for Greek to do unnecessary. Um, so, yeah, I, I think with it being technically an in-person, even though he's not going to fly up there for weather, I'm expecting it to be five or more. Uh, Cause you know, that's kind of the threshold that they, they set there. So, but you never know, maybe, maybe Riley can make a good enough case that uh, you know, cause the refs weren't going to call anything. There's nothing the refs can call. So there's no way, that an official like channel could have been used to address the situation. So from that standpoint, maybe they'll go lenient on him, but uh, yeah, Paul, I wouldn't bank on Morgan Riley playing. Anymore. Yeah, he's not. And that, that hurts my fantasy team because he's on my team too, AJ, but, <laughs> but, uh, but Riley is a guy who has a spotless record in, in terms of player discipline in his career. And hopefully that's, that uh, goes in his favor. And I looked at the re- replay again this morning, slowed it right down and the point of contact, was at the end of his stick with his glove to the guy's face, but it was a cross-checking motion. But the fact is the contact was made by mostly by the glove and it was glancing off his upper body. So I don't know how they're going to take a read on this situation, slowing it down or whatever is something that they probably will do in terms of analyzing the actual contact. But I still think they're going to throw the book at him. And maybe you're, you're closer to the being true with, the games that he's going to get. I just hope that they go a little bit lenient on him because he is a star player in this league, a key player and a, and a clean player, I'll say. Uh, and that should should stand him in good stead. And and I mean, I'm sure he was ticked off with the way the game wound down and the, and the shot by the opposing player was excessive in terms of uh, what needed to happen there on the empty net. But look at, again, this is the Battle of Ontario, maybe rekindled the... <laughs> The Ottawa Senators have been clobbered by the Leafs in the last five years in the regular season. This year, finally, the Ottawa Senators won the season series, so that was a bit of a change from the script. But this is this was the same the the Senators Stanley Cup when they played the Leafs this season. You could see it in the way they played. I've watched them play a lot of other games where they didn't bring nearly that kind of intensity. So that's something more that they need to address in Ottawa. And the fact of the matter is, Ridley Grieg is not missing any playing time. So. Uh, all things considered, this is going to be one of the most difficult places for the Department of Players' uh, safety to assess. And I'm really curious to see, A, what comes down, obviously, and B, how they explain it. So uh, 
the fact of the matter is it's going to be a very compelling case, maybe a precedent setter going forward. And the league really doesn't like these high hits at any time. But at the end of game two, it's, it's, it has a worse look. So uh, it could be bad for Leaf fans and, and the Leafs themselves. I'm hoping for some leniency. I will and, I'll add real quick, Paul, for, for Leafs fans that want to rewatch it uh, in slow-mo and on repeat, when the Department of Player Safety releases these annum- announcements, they give out, they uh, post a video. And it like slows it down and breaks it down as to why it's a suspension. But if you watch that video, you're going to see Riley Greig get creamed about five or six times. So <laughs> these fans out there, if you want a, a fun watch for you to just watch it over and over on repeat, uh, wait till the decision comes out and watch that video. <laughs> All right. Well, last week we had some fun with our uh, my pal Mike Angelo in terms of Q&A. But this week we're back to our bread and butter, AJ, where we're going to go through the most productive players in the past week players that we think are must-adds and players that we might recommend as must-drops, along with some injury news before we finish up with our DFS segment, looking at the top lineups that we recommend on FanDuel and DraftKings. So let's go dive right into it. And why don't you talk about some of the forwards that uh, led the pack in terms of available players that could help you in fantasy play uh, with the balance of this season? Yeah, uh, one name that that jumps out at the top, Brian Rust, uh, available in about 45% of leagues, two goals, uh, one power play point uh, in three games over this last week. His number is up from from 12 shots, uh, so that's obviously a a good thing there. Uh, I I think overall, the thing to remember is he's currently playing up with Sidney Crosby, um, but the offense has not been great lately. And so it's possible they would move Russ down uh, to play with Malkin to try and uh, drive his production, which has been a little slow of late. So I'm a little more cautious on Brian Russ here just because, um, you know, his spot on the top line through no fault of his own. It's just because of the rest of the lineup struggling. You know, Ricard Raquel can't do anything to save his life. Uh, Riley Smith hasn't really gelled. They're, they're potentially going to need to move Rust around to try and spark something. And so that's really more the concern. Um, if he stops playing with Crosby right now, uh, the Penguins are pretty south in terms of production outside of there. So I'm a little more cautious on Brian Rust, even though he shows up, should be available in about half of the leagues out there. One name to watch right at the top of this list is Jonathan Huberto. Two goals, three assists, uh, three power play points. He's uh, getting the top line assignment with uh, Sharon Govich and Kuzmenko. So not playing, you know, necessarily with, um, you know, not playing with Backland or, or Kadri, but kind of leading the way for this young line. Of course, the benefit with Huberto is he's a dual eligible, both center and wing. Uh, so that'll help you if, if your format allows that. I know, I know we say that sometimes, but not all formats are that way. But uh, I like Huberto's game of late. He seems to be uh, really thriving uh, with some of these changes that have happened in Calgary. Um, so, you know, really since, honestly, since uh, mid, mid-January, mid he's got eight points in, in nine games, four of those coming on the power play, uh, really kind of taking all this in stride, all the turnover in Calgary, you know, very clearly based on what you're seeing, they are selling right now. Um, and, and I think he's, you know, uh, just kind of rolling with the punches there. So I, I really like Huberto lower on, on Brian Rust. Um, sticking with Calgary, Connor Zeri uh, is up. Another dual eligible guy. He's playing on second line minutes because they've had to move uh, move some guys around. 
another option. I think he'll probably be a little more hit or miss. He'll, you know, he'll have good games. He'll have bad games, you know, still a young player at just 22. Um, but I think another one worth consideration now that he's kind of being thrust into a, a, a second, second line role, he's getting power play opportunities and a lot of this because of the pieces that they've uh, mailed out there in Calgary. AJ, the St. Louis Blues are trying to stay relevant to the playoff hunt, and they're 7-2-1 in their last 10 games played. Jake Neighbors is the second highest player that we look at in terms of performance from the past week in two games. Picked up three goals and one helper, had six shots on goal, got involved in some physical play and blocked some shots. Playing top six minutes here for a club that's on a roll. Not a bad recipe for his possible continued success. I'm also uh, reluctant to mention, but I will, the Montreal Canadiens uh, have a player at the <laughs> top of this list. Jurek Slavkovsky, the uh, top draft pick last year, who has been maligned by me since then, pretty much consistently, has finally started to show some merit for that lofty position in, in that draft with some real good play lately, AJ. He's been elevated at the top line, playing with Caulfield and Suzuki for the Habs and getting a lot of ice time, almost 19 minutes a game, and responded with three goals and one helper for his one of his best weeks of his young career. So a player to watch to see if he's finally turned the corner in development and um, and uh, his skills are showing better. He's not no longer looking like Bambi on skates to me, but uh, rather he's playing a more physical game instead and uh, and uh, delivering off offensive courses, I indicated. I also like, uh, at the other end of the spectrum, uh, I have time for veterans who are starting to play and be healthy and uh, elevating their team fortunes. And TJ Oshie of the Washington Capitals certainly fits that bill. He's been a, a consistent player uh, with a real fantasy upside for years. Playing on the, on the Caps power play certainly has helped that. And he's responded in the past week with some steady play, uh, including three points in four games played. His usual physical style of play is a factor night in and night out. This guy's a gamer and a player who plays with a ton of heart. And when he's healthy, he's a very viable option in fantasy. Again, the Boston Bruins centers factor into the discussion here. Pavel Zaka, owned in only 38% of leagues, responded with another decent week. He's centering the second line here and playing power play minutes for the Bruins, a team that has been a little more up and down uh, instead of the juggernaut that they were earlier in the season. But still, Zaka available in 62% of leagues out there. If you're paying attention and need help at center, he and Con uh, uh, Charlie Coyle are both available. Charlie Coyle available in 37% of leagues, but now his ownership started to creep up because he had a 10-game winning goal, a point streak, AJ, and uh, snapped uh, last time out. So his offense has been uh, there for the, the past three weeks, and uh, the ownership's starting to creep up a little bit, but still plenty of room for people who want to take him. Uh, ditto for Chandler Stevenson, AJ. Still, I, I don't understand. This guy has been a key part of the Vegas offense for for the last few years, and I think he's proved his worth, yet his ownership's only at 23%. This is a guy who plays with, plays with the big boys and gets power play time as well, and he chipped in with three points last week to show you that he is a factor in that offense when it's going. One final name that I'll mention before I turn it back to you is Toivo Teravainen, a guy who's moved up and down between the first and third lines in, in Carolina, playing well of late, five assists in his last three games played last week. The ownership's still only 37%, and he's been a real good point producer for the past three or four weeks, so that ownership should tick up. And if you're needing help, I think Carolina's a team that should it still remains to be reckoned with, and uh, Toivo Teravainen playing in the top six is well-positioned to take advantage of that possibility. 
Well, I'll take us over to the defenseman, Paul, and start uh, off the top with uh, Sam Garrard for Colorado. Good week for him, two goals and an assist, 16% uh, ownership for him. The obvious knock, right, is that he's not <clears throat> he's not a, a power play guy for them, uh, really across the board. You know, you've got Mikhail Makar on the first unit. Um, they have been kind of using three guys, uh, three defensemen on their second power play unit. A little strange, but they've been using uh, Devin Taves, Bowen Byram, and Gerard uh, on that unit. But I just think there's too many cooks in the kitchen there. I'm, I wouldn't expect Gerard to see. You know, he's got the lowest uh, ice time. You know, power play ice time of those guys. But still, I think worth considering, especially you know maybe you look ahead at Colorado's matchups for for season long. Obviously, in daily, you can just look at a single matchup. I, I think he still has some value because he's not going to cost you. Uh, nearly as much um you know obviously uh uh there's you know guys like uh noel Yusin over in vancouver and i think you're gonna see his name on some lists and really for me uh that's a little too far i think uh you know they brought in zadarov uh they're you know he's his name's gonna show up because he's gonna pick up a point here or there um because of the you know the fact that Vancouver's producing at a high rate. He does dish out a lot of hits. So if hits are a format that you really need, um, I would consider him. Uh, Jonas Brodeen is back uh, for uh, Minnesota, played uh, just one game last week, uh, but had a, a, a pair of points. Uh, if you include last night, he did play last night as well. So technically he's two games back from an injury. Uh, not a lot of goals coming from him, but the shot total is decent. Uh, at least one a game, usually closer to two. Uh, picking up plenty of assists. Again, not a big power play uh, numbers guy. You know, he, he'll have one game where he played a ton on the power play and then other games he isn't there at all. Um, but, you know, somebody worth kind of taking a look at, you know, only 3% ownership. He should be available. Um, and, he, you know, like we said, back from injury could be somebody to consider uh, if you need it, if you need the help. He's obviously not going to be a top end guy. Same with Yulson, same with Garrard. You know, none of them, I wouldn't drop anybody that you might have. But if, you know, say you had a guy who's going to be suspended for six, seven games or something, you might need uh, to look at your waiver wire. And uh, I would consider targeting one of those guys. AJ, in light of the suspension that's upcoming for Morgan Riley, the Leafs will have a different look on the power play. And they've been testing Jake McCabe there in practices this week. He's the guy that's going to be. Uh, involved with all the star players up front. So that's got to lift his his value significantly. He's only owned in 20% of leagues and mostly a physical presence with the 10 hits and seven block shots last week, an indicator in the three games the Leafs played. But I like the way that he's been playing uh, in, uh, all season long. He's brought that physicality and, and uh, made the front of the net a bit of a minefield for opponents defensively. But now he has a chance to, to use a slap shot. We don't see that very much in terms of offensive play from the Blue Liners anymore. But McCabe is a guy who has a good one, and uh, he will probably be able to position himself to use it with the Leafs' attack in the coming couple of weeks, I think, that he's going to get a shot here. So a bit of a sneaky ad if you're looking for a bit of a boost uh, from an unconventional source who is thrust into a new position. But that's what this show is all about, to show you names like that. And another guy who fits that same bill is Cam Fowler of, of Anaheim. Their offense is uh, is been the best part of their team 
all season. They're, they struggle defensively, but he is a linchpin on their power play, playing upwards of 24 and a half minutes a game, two points last week, both with an extra man. So those are two guys that can help you and reward you if your league uh, values power play points especially. And then we have to talk about a couple of players. We're nearing the trade deadline, AJ, and a couple of names that we're hearing a lot about in terms of potential movement are Chris Tanev with Calgary, Noah Hannafin, another player with Calgary is, is on the list, but Chris Tanev playing well for the, the Flames and a defensive role mostly, and uh, a net front presence as well that's highly valued. But this is a top a high-end skater too, so he can move the puck out of the zone, and that's a critical thing for for team. The teams are looking for to boost their their profile defensively. Ditto for Sean Walker. He's a very physical force. He got two assists last week. Only owned in nine percent of leagues, but he's very highly sought after in Philadelphia. So there's a couple of names on the power play that can help you, and a couple of names that we expect to see in the trade deadline. AJ, do you have any more talk about defensemen, or do you want to move us into the goalies? Yeah, I'll just I'll just keep us rolling, Paul. We'll uh, you know save us some time for later. We can discuss other things. Uh, keep us rolling onto the goalies here. You know the couple of names that uh, popped up for me to think about this week were um, obviously Jonathan Quick got those three starts in a row, so uh, his numbers are are looking a little little inflated. Um, I, you know they've been very clear that Shesterkin is still their guy, um, and he backed that up shutting out uh, or getting a win over Chicago last week. Um, and then actually last night, shutting out uh, Calgary 30 saves uh, for him. So quick, I, I would be a little more cautious on. He's obviously not getting, um, you know, he did get a little more look, um, but they were very clear that Shesterkin was, was constantly their guy. Um, the other one, obviously, you know, the whole situation around, um, Hart uh, makes the, the the Philadelphia situation uh, difficult. Samuel Arison is just going to play a ton of minutes. I mean, that's <laughs> he's started nine of their last ten games. Uh, I would expect that to continue. They don't really have – I mean, they do. They have Cal Pedersen. I guess they could use him. But uh, Paul will caution any team out there against using Cal Pedersen anytime ever. Um, so <laughs> – so, you know, they, I think they're going to just roll with what they have. Arison's looked okay um, over that stretch. And then the other name I think to be on the lookout for is Marc-Andre Fleury. Um, you know, if you have a goalie injury or if your third goalie maybe isn't getting as much work as you were hoping, um, at some point I think there's going to be rumblings. I mean, there already are, but rumblings about a trade are going to pick up. And Fleury has a no-trade clause, so he has – say as to where he's going to go and he's only going to leave Minnesota if it's for a chance to see more minutes. So, you know, if you could pick him up at the right time, say before a trade to New Jersey, that would not be a bad place for Fleury to end up. Maybe a trade down to Carolina. Um, although they've been getting better net mining of late, but I, I think there's options out there and it's one to monitor. Uh, I wouldn't pull the trigger quite yet because I think staying in Minnesota is definitely still on the table, but Keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on flurry rumors and, and go from there. AJ, at the top of this goalie list, in terms of all goalies list past week, Jacob Markstrom appeared and it reminded us that he's still a very good goaltender and he's actually having a bit of a renaissance this season with Calgary, a bit of a comeback year of sorts. Three wins last week, only six goals against, 93 saves. Those were numbers that were uh, weekly efforts by him in the, in the past. 
certainly not too much earlier this season, but he's really picked up his game, and that's buoyed Calgary's uh, whole overall circumstance. So good for him, the veteran, thrusting his name back into the picture among top goalies in the league at the moment. Sergei Bobrovsky, we haven't talked about him too much, AJ, despite the fact he continues to roll along. Two more wins and two appearances, 56 saves, and a shutout last week as the Florida Panthers are trying to keep up with the Boston Bruins. We'll have more to say about some of the races later on in the show. But uh, for now, Bobrovsky kind of underrated in this space, and so we'll rectify that by mentioning him as a very consistent performer all season long. I want to talk about some murkier situations, though, AJ. We got the situation in New Jersey. You mentioned that they may be looking for some goaltending help. Vitek Vanasek responded with a nice week last week to take control of the goalie situation. But now he's nursing a bit of an injury too. So despite the fact that he receded for three wins, uh, sorry, a win and three appearances and uh, 91 saves last week, we got to be concerned about the injury issue. And Nico Dawes will will, uh, take over the net, uh, at least in the next start. And we'll see beyond that. We'll wait and see about more news in that circumstance. Of course, I have to mention big save, Dave Riddich. He's taken over the role in Los Angeles, something of a surprise situation. When Cam Talbot had such a great start, I thought, can it last? And uh, is it sustainable? The answer is no and no. And so they're looking for some help in the nets. And and L.A.'s fortunes took a nosedive, but they're starting to get their act together. And it looks like they're going to lean on Riddich going forward. A bit of a cloudy situation emerging in St. Louis, but for a better reason than than underperformance. Joel Hofer is pushing uh, Jordan Bennington for a share of the net there. And he had another good start last week, getting only one goal against in his only start, picking up the win and uh, stopping 31 shots. So there are a couple of uh, shady looking goalie situations that we got to keep an eye on. Even in Carolina, for heaven's sakes, Pyotr Kachekov is a guy that continues to be overlooked by a lot of uh, fantasy owners. He's owned in 55% of leagues. He was near the top of the list, AJ, last week too, in terms of top performances by all goalies, receding for two wins, only allowing five goals against and 66 saves. So some really strong goaltending efforts from players that are are making a one-goalie system, system turn into a two-goalie effort. And uh, in, in Carolina, we should also mention Freddie Anderson is back on his skates. Uh, no timetable for his return, but you can bet if they can get him healthy, I think they'd like to see him take a run at a string of games there as well. In Toronto, Ilya Samsonov seems to have taken over control of the net. Marty Jones, his ownership is is taking a bit of a nosedive after rescuing a portion of the Leafs season. It looks like Samsonov is a guy that Leafs have some faith in again. He had played in two more games last week, uh, 53, 53 saves on, in tow along with a victory, and he'll get the start tonight against the St. Louis Blues. So with that, AJ, I think we'll take a break now and uh, we'll come back with a look at the most added players and the most dropped players along with some injury news and then our DFS segment. When we return, you're listening to podcast with Statsman and AJ. We'll be back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Back right after this. All right, we're back. You're listening to Podcast with Statsman and AJ, Paul Bruno and AJ Scholes aboard. And we're going to get into a list of the top performers that were added last week. So uh, off the top, AJ, I'll throw it over to you. And uh, maybe you want to talk about that kid in Montreal. Well, I'm, I'm going to start with my weekly reminder. And it's going to be a weekly reminder until this ownership percentage jumps up. Is Brock Faber is still available in leagues. Go get him, people. 67%. Saw another three-point jump there. Um, He's not available in my league, unfortunately. I wish I was in one of those 33% of leagues that he was still an option in. Um, So, yeah, go do that. Uh, That's number one. Uh, Another player that that jumps out here that we already talked about, Samuel Erson, only available or uh, only owned in about 12% of leagues. That's another option. Go get him boost your, your net minding if you need it, because he's definitely going to continue to start a a lot for them. Uh, Andre Kuzmenko got a little bit of a boost, about a two point boost this last week. Shouldn't be a huge surprise considering he uh, got traded to, uh, to Calgary. They're going to get definitely some more opportunities in Calgary. Um, just so you don't have to do it, Paul, the top guy with most ads this week was Slavkowski. Uh, about five-point jump, still about 62% ownership. I would expect we'll continue to see him on that top line with Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. Seems to be a really nice group. Um, you know, some of that is is injury factors. Uh, trading, obviously, Sean Monahan away. That, that shook up their lines a little bit. But, yeah, I would expect... Slavkowski to stay in a, a stronger role 
uh, for a little while here. So those are a couple names I saw right away. Um, and I'll kick it over to you, Paul, before with a last reminder to go pick up Brock Faber. <laughs> I like those calls, AJ. Faber certainly making a case for uh, a rookie of the year race still. But uh, we have some good news on Connor Bedard that we'll share with you shortly that might tip the scales back in his favor going forward. Thomas Harley of the Dallas Stars is high on this list, AJ. He's been kind of playing in the shadows of Miro Heiskanen in Dallas, but he's one of the top goal scorers in the NHL on the blue line with 13 tallies on the back end, 17 assists, and yet his ownership's only 52.4% for a team that's one of the top ones in the entire league and a first-playing pair defenseman there so he should be snapped up too in our opinion uh, ditto for William Carlson playing on one of the top the defending champs actually uh, his ownership spiked by 4.4 percent this guy gets to play with a lot of the big boys and they have a, a raft of injuries too that's giving him more ice time as well so that's why you see a spike in his ownership I know you mentioned Jonathan Quick is is uh, the, definitely the second stringer to Shesterkin, but he's having such an outstanding year that there are noises in some circles that say he should be getting more gameplay because his statistics are way better than Shesterkin's in terms of goals against average, for instance, season to date. So I know that, that Shesterkin is the, the de facto number one, but Quick is making a great case to get a larger share and his ownership has crept up by 3.6% to 38 last week. The final name that I'll, I'll throw out before I give it back to you, AJ, is Jacob Markstrom. I mentioned his play has improved of late and his ownership is over 60%. But if you're looking for a goalie and a veteran on a team that's got an upward trajectory right now, there might not be a better, better possibility than adding Markstrom to your mix. Yeah, one other name um, a little surprised to see on this list uh, is, is Chris Tanev. Uh, production isn't great. Shot totals aren't great. Um, but I'm guessing it's because people think that maybe if he goes to another team, he'll produce more. Um, I, I wouldn't hold out my breath on that uh, or hold my breath on that rather. Yes, he had 35 points once, uh, but for the most part, or I'm sorry, uh, no, 28 points uh, was his high. So, uh, yeah, he's just not going to be a huge point producer. Maybe if you're in a format that needs blocks, um, but he's not even like a big hitter. Um, so, yeah, a little surprised to see him getting a big jump this week. But uh, the overall percentage is still right around 10. Uh, and that's honestly probably where it should stay, even if he does get traded somewhere. Now, AJ, I'm going to get on my soapbox as a veteran oh, of fantasy, fantasy play and remind our the listeners and players that this is a time where you can't let your foot off the gas and you got to look for opportunities for players that can help you. And there are a few of them out here. The, the ownership is very low on them. And I found no fewer than four that I want to talk about here in closing out this segment. Jake neighbors, I mentioned with St. Louis playing second line minutes and scoring his ownership's only at 6% folks for a team that is kind of leaning on him a little bit more than they have earlier in the year. And that low ownership means that he should be available in almost all leagues that are out there. And I would take a hard look at him if you need help on the wing. Uh, I'll also mention TJ Oshie to underscore the availability there. He's only owned in 12%, 12.6% of leagues after a 1.6 jump. And the Caps are playing better hockey of late. In fact, Alex Ovechkin's finding that with some regularity. So that's uh, rising tide lifts all boats. And he's the guy, leader of this pack. So they, they're all of a sudden looking like a bit of a tougher out. Uh, you meant, I mentioned Andre Palat from New Jersey. His ownership jumped by 1.4%. This is an interesting situation, AJ, and it's probably related more to the fact that Jack Hughes is, is back and healthy 
for the Devils, and, and Palat will get power play time alongside him. So it might make sense to look for that veteran to see his numbers jump up. And I mentioned in, in closing, Jonathan Huberto, only owned in 50.9%. He's a year and a half removed from 100 and 100 plus point season. And maybe we're starting to see that out of him again. He could be the biggest surprise of anybody on this list, AJ. And yet his ownership is only around the 50% mark, like I said. So why don't you, yes. take, why don't you take us into the injury <clears throat> and player drops section, AJ? A few names of note there. And uh, some merit this drop and others don't. I'll make the case for a few. Well, I'm going to start with one that literally just came across. So uh, if you're wat- listening to this uh, live on, on YouTube or uh, if you uh, happen to catch this early, you may not have heard this yet. Evgeny Dadunov for Dallas is going to miss uh, some time is what they said. He suffered a fracture uh, last night, was injured against Montreal, played just about eight and a half minutes. So he is facing an extended absence. So, yeah, a little bit of breaking news there, Paul. Evgeny Davinov going to be out for Dallas. Um, other than that, you've got, um, you know, uh, Owen Power is going to be week to week for Buffalo. That's a bit of a blow for uh, the Sabres there. Um, you've got, uh, you know, some guys uh, might uh, come back uh, soon. One name possibly to come back, Jake Sanderson, could be back uh, later this week. He won't play. I think uh, they have a game Thursday. He won't play in that one, but could be back on Saturday. Uh, and then, of course, Mikhail Sergachev, just a huge, just crushing blow. He comes back one game, fractures both the tibia and the fibula, um, probably done for the season, uh, maybe come back late or in a playoff run. But, dang, what a huge blow for that guy to come back. And and if you haven't seen it, he uh, posted a pretty raw um, – you know, thing of like his feelings and how he was feeling about it. Um, good on him to, you know, be upfront with that and share that info. Um, so obviously, yeah, that's, that was a tough one to watch. Um, so yeah, there's never good news. You've got uh, Marty Jones is dealing with a little bit of an injury. He won't uh, back up tonight, but probably wasn't going to start over Samson off uh, Samson off anyway. Um, Thomas hurdle is going to be out for a while place on injured reserve. Uh, undergoing basically a knee cleanup. Um, they're expecting him to be out for a little while there. Uh, back on the good news side, Connor Bedard is going to spend the week in a non-contact jersey, but could practice as soon as Monday. Um, so I would say at any point, once he starts practicing, he could be uh, close to returning to action. So those are some of the injury news and notes. Uh, that I'll mention, Paul, I'm sure there's a couple that uh, that I missed and that you'll touch on as well. Well, we got to talk about Jack Hughes returning after being out for a lengthy time for the Devils. He made it to all three games last week, and that's going to make him fantasy relevant because he was a first-round pick in most pools last year uh, at the start of this season. So it's good to see him back in the fold and playing regularly and dominating uh, is going to be part of the recipe going forward. I expect him to really light it up now that he is back in form, and that could certainly help the Devils try and chase down a playoff spot. In St. Louis, there's been a lot of talk about Colton Pareko this season, uh, picking up the offensive slack uh, for this team. Uh, Justin Falk has been out for a little bit, and he's out week to week, actually, going forward with a lower body injury. He's a guy with a big bomb of a slap shot, but uh, that will be replaced by Pareko's big shot at the blue line, 
And Pareko, I think, will be highly sought after at the trade deadline, AJ, because not only does he bring that big shot and, and a six-foot-six frame to uh, to the game every night, but he's got a real good defensive acumen as well in terms of blocking shots and hits. And, uh, I mean, he's got a contract hit of about six-plus million for the next four or five years, so might be a little difficult to trade at the deadline, but I could certainly see him moving in the offseason. And if you're a dynasty, a dynasty league player, Keep an eye on him because his situation could improve with a deal out of St. Louis to a contending team at the deadline. But certainly he's going to get a lot of play going forward at the moment. You mentioned uh, the situation with Sergachev. Another player that, that is uh, maybe looking at better news uh, is in Toronto, Joseph Wall, a goalie that they are counting on to kind of be the goalie of the future here. And he's had a good start to his season before a high ankle sprain uh, derailed it. He's back at practice with the Leafs and could get some game action within a week or so. And the Leafs will also be fortified. Even if they lose Riley, they're going to get uh, Giordano and Camp back in the roster. So uh, the revolving door in the infirmary and uh, in the roster in Toronto has uh, some players coming, some players going as usual, but more coming back in than uh, going out the door. So that's positive for Leaf fans, I guess, if you want to hang on to something positive in nature. In terms of some of the other players that were uh, seeing a decline in ownership, AJ, I was surprised that Nikolai Ehlers' uh, ownership has dropped from 58 to 52% last week. He only has two assists in his last six games, but he is a bona fide sniper for this club. And he's had it, he's done that for years. And uh, I, he's still locked into a top six role for a team that's one of the top in the top half of the league. So I don't quite understand why he makes this list. And I had to say that because there are other players who whose merit being on the list. Some of them, I don't understand why they're still relevant at all. Carter Hart shouldn't be owned in any leagues because he's going to be out indefinitely after the shenanigans that caught, landed him in some hot water, uh, not just with the NHL, but uh, with a police record on his uh, docket now. So he, he's uh, lost to the Flyers. Logan Couture uh, missed the first half of the season, AJ, with bad groin problem that he that uh, caused him uh, to go into surgery and uh, delay his start of the year. He got back for a few games in San Jose and things were looking positive, but that same injury has cropped up now and he's looking at maybe missing the rest of the season. So a tough blow for for a team that's had a woeful campaign. But I thought that he was going to be a late season impact player for them. It's just not worked out and he's back on the sidelines. We talked a lot about Connor Ingram in the first half of the season too, uh, AJ, for Arizona. He was a guy that basically took uh, control of the crease there uh, over Carol Vamelka, but he's been bombed in the last four games that he's played. 17 goals against, seeing his ownership drop, one of the worst drops on the week, 4.7% for a team that's not uh, likely to make the playoffs after some promising weeks that made me think they might turn the corner in that regard. You want to talk about any more names on this list? Well, I'm going to have one that I put in the same category that you had, uh, Nikolai Ehlers, and that's uh, Sharon Govich saw a, a drop this week. Um, surprised to see that. <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm guessing people just thought with Kuzmenko coming in um, that they'd he'd potentially get dropped down the lineup. Instead, they moved him to center, um, and it's been working pretty well, as I met, you know, as we talked about earlier. So, and I'm wondering if that was the same factor with like Ehlers, if people thought with with Monahan coming in, things would shuffle up in like a weird way. Um, Gabe Velarde is on this list as well, uh, with a, a bit of a drop this last week, around four percent. 
him I could maybe see a little bit more if Ehlers is going to take the first line spot and Velarde's down to second, but it's not like he's playing with bums on the second line. He's playing with Monaghan and, and Cole Perfetti. So, um, yeah, I think maybe just some uncertainty about what the trades that those two teams made, uh, how it was going to impact the lineups there, but I don't think it's had a negative impact on any of those three players. Hey, AJ, I'll add one more name here, and and this is a situation where I disagree with with the masses that have dropped dropped Shane Gossesbear. Sure, he was held pointless last week, but before then, he was on a very consistent scoring run with the Red Wings as uh, factoring into their offense as his team has made themselves relevant in the playoff hunt this year. And he's been a reason why, because he stabilized that extra man attack as their power play quarterback for a long stretch of the, of the season. And his ownership dropped by 3.4%. Still, it's at 76, but I was alarmed to see that people are starting to bail on this guy for at a time when I think Detroit is right there and he's a big reason why they are. So just some cautionary tales, I guess, in this list that uh, don't follow suit with what you're seeing in, in term, terms of some of the sites that rate the ads and drops here. Uh, there's got to be a storyline that you believe in. And uh, I don't I believe in the storyline attached to Shane Gostas Bear. So hang on to him if you're listening to this show and value our opinions, which I hope you do. That brings us, AJ, to the DFS strategy portion of our, our uh, evening. Uh, anticipation of uh, 11 games on the slate tonight. Busy one and a uh, difficult one to stack, I think, when you consider all the possibilities that are out there. I'm really curious to see how you handle your look at the DraftKings lineups ahead of this busy action slate tonight. Well, I drastically disagree with you on that last statement, Paul, that it's a difficult one to stack because I've got a heavy stack going here in this one, and it involves the Vancouver Canucks, who are one of the top teams in the league. They're leading the way in terms of goals per game. And they're facing the Chicago Blackhawks, who are a bottom five team in goals allowed per game. So, seems like a good combination to me. The only downside is you might have to pay up, kind of fill out your roster a little bit from there. Um, but for me, it starts and stops with Elias Pettersson. 8100 is the price tag. It's not cheap. But I think he's just worth having tonight in what should be a pretty good matchup for Vancouver. Uh, Paul, you mentioned earlier in the show, you mentioned Pavel Zaka. I think uh, a good <clears throat> good add there. He's only 4400 here, so a little bit cheaper. Been playing really well uh, for Boston. They've got him in the second-line center role. Um, playing with DeBrusque, he gets time on the number one power play unit, which is kind of bolstering uh, why I want to use him. I'll go back to Vancouver for this one. I looked at their line combinations here and I wanted to get one of Pedersen's line mates. Uh, I felt more comfortable going with Nils Hoglander. Uh, he's at 3,500. He's got goals in each of the last two games. No power play time for him. So that's obviously a concern. Um, but as long as he's in that spot with, uh, with Pedersen, I think it's worth putting one of those two guys in there. I went with Hoglander. We could certainly make uh, an argument for Pius Suter. Uh, and then I'll go with uh, Brock Besser, who's on the Lindholm line with JT Miller, comes in at 6,800. A little bit of a slump, if you want to call it that of late. Uh, four games without a goal, but five shots in his last two. He's on the number one unit there. So you're kind of doubling up with him and, and Pedersen in that way. 
Um, Paul, I'll give you all the credit on this next one here. You talked up Slavkovsky enough that I was like, how much is he on DraftKings? And he's 3,600, super cheap option. First line, first power play. He's got points in, in five straight games. Like, that's a steal to get him at 3,600. Go back to the Vancouver power play. Going to use Quinn Hughes, paying up for him. 7K there. Um, hefty price tag, but I, I think you got to do it. Uh, I was already on this before you mentioned it, Paul, but you did bring it up. Jake McCabe going to be the one who steps in seemingly for the number one power play unit in Toronto. 3600 his price tag. Again, that's an absolute steal if he can just, you know, throw the puck anywhere in Matthew's direction and pick up a power play assist. Uh, that, that'll work for me. My utility spot, I had 4500 left to spend there. I went with Lucas Raymond for Detroit. He's been on. A bit of a run. It's admittedly not the best matchup going up against Edmonton, who've been fantastic of late. But you look at Raymond's numbers, pretty consistent shots, averaging two two per game over the last six. He's got eight points over that stretch. I think it's worth the flyer at, at 4,600 there. And then I paid up big at goaltending today. Paul, I went all the way to the top. Thatcher Demko, 8,500. If I'm going to use this many Vancouver Canucks, I might as well just round out the the group there. So uh, if Chicago pulls off an upset, this lineup is doomed, uh, but I don't expect that to happen. I think it's a good opportunity to stack heavily on Vancouver in this slate. AJ, I went ahead and I looked at the players that I talked about earlier in the show, in most cases with two exceptions. And I mentioned that it was a hard game for me to stack because there were a number of possibilities, but I instead opted to pick and choose players who've been on a, on a roll and they get favorable matchups. So that's the nature of the makeup of my lineup. And it's kind of a direct contrast to yours. So be kind of curious to see which one does better. And we remind our listeners that the pricing scale is very different from one format to another. In fact, Slavkovsky is a good example because on the FanDuel side, he costs $4,800, which made him a little bit too rich for the opportunities that I uh, I saw that might be better than him. And I'll go through them now. At the center position, I looked at Nico Heischer with the Devils. Now that Jack Hughes is back in the fold, he's going to face lesser checking in a second-line center role, despite the fact that he's almost as dynamic a forward as, as Jack Hughes is. He comes in at $6,400 for a date against Nashville on the heels of seven points in five games played. So again, I get a player who is modestly priced on a nice streak and really maybe in the shadows of somebody who is going to cost a heck of a lot more and maybe in a better situation in terms of the opponents he faces. Mentioned Charlie Coyle with the Bruins facing the Tampa Lightning tonight in a game that's of big importance to the Lightning and the Bruins. In fact, a divisional uh, game should be, I think, the best tilt of the night, and I'm going to be watching it. Coyle has had a 10-game point streak snapped where he got 15 points before he was shut out last game. I think he gets back on the beam, and uh, for $6,900, I'll take that against uh, Tampa defense and uh, even if they play Vasilevsky he hasn't been on top of his game lately either so I like that matchup for the Bruins and Coyle specifically I move on to the New York Islanders and I'm stuck on Matthew Barzal as one of the top uh, maybe the most expensive guy that I have as a skater tonight uh, versus Seattle he comes into this one as a five game seven point streak and he's been really very visible in some of the recent games that I got to see him in, like the way he's flying around the ice. And he's a threat to score every time out there. And he'll play upwards of 20 minutes in this matchup tonight, too. In Toronto, I'm not picking any Leafs tonight, AJ, which might surprise you. But I am, oh, pick, 
I'm picking a St. Louis Blue uh, forward, and that's Jordan Cairo, a Toronto native. And boy, oh boy, it seems to me that when uh, a player comes back to play in his hometown in Toronto, they usually have a big night. And Jordan Cairo is my vote this evening for the visitors. $6,900 the price tag. He comes in on a bit of a tear with six points in his last four games played. You touched on the Vancouver game as where you're going to be stacking things. I like the way Chicago's kind of played lately. They're they're playing kitty bar the door hockey, so they're not allowing uh, the 50 shots on goal a game and really surrounding Peter Morazic with a more defensive structure. And I'm counting them on them to keep this one close. But I look at Vancouver's defense and I see Quinn Hughes obviously is the go-to guy, but Philip Ronick is not a bad silver medalist in that list. He's uh, got uh, a good season going, 39 points in 53 games played, costing $5,500, despite the fact that he too will get power play time on that potent Vancouver attack and what you think is a mismatch. I think it should be, but I think the Cox are going to keep it close. Uh, the other defenseman of choice, I mentioned him in Anaheim, Cam Fowler playing upwards of 25 minutes a game, and he has a couple of two-point efforts in his last five, uh, costing only $4,000. I think this is a game where he has a chance to continue to add to those totals. So I like him as the power play linchpin for the young Ducks attack. Then I go to my utility guys and I look back at a couple of forwards who are playing in top six roles and they're really modestly priced. So I like the fact that I can throw in Toivo Teravainen. I mentioned he's got a good streak going in the last little while, nine points in his last six playing wing on the top line and with Sebastian Ajo and they have a real good chemistry together. I think this is going to be a shootout against Dallas and a key game for both clubs. So I expect Teravainen to pay off handsomely for the $5,000 price tag. And I feel similarly about the New Jersey Devils versus Nashville. It's a game the Devils need to get, and they're going to lean on their top line. And that means exposure to Jack Hughes. I'll get it through his line mate, Andre Palat, who comes in at $4,500, uh, getting first line minutes and power play time as well. It should be re an easy reward for that low price tag. And then, of course, in goal, it should come as no surprise to you, AJ, that when I see Dave Riddich on a hot streak, he's allowed two goals or less in five of his last seven, modestly priced at $7,900. I like his chance to, to pay off against a Buffalo team who's been limited offensively. They've only scored 18 goals in their last seven. That's less than three a game. And uh, Riddich, incidentally, is second highest rated goalie in terms of expected points on the Rotowire list of uh, predicted outcomes for tonight's games. Interesting point I want to make about that, AJ, is they rank all the players at Rotowire, and, and they even give you the chance to use the optimizer to create your own lineups automatically without you having to think based on the matchups and the expected production that each of the players will have given the opposition and uh, their status in the lineups, which I touched on, first line, second line, power play minutes, et cetera. So just another asset that Rotowire brings to the table and you should consider in terms of uh, subscriber, subscribing or even bookmarking the site to get what you can out of this marvelous range of statistics that we offer. So AJ, that brings us to our final thoughts. And I know we're going to be talking more and more about the, the player, the teams that are in contention going forward. And I wanted to touch on some of the interesting races that are cropping up within the division in some cases, like the Atlantic, for example. Winnipeg, uh, Winnipeg, the Detroit Red Wings and the Tampa Lightning are really closing ranks on the Maple Leafs. Of course, Toronto holds a few games in hand on the Lightning, but the Wings and Lightning, both in, uh, in uh, the discussion in terms of a playoff spot and certainly a wild card spot, 
So that's a one race to watch. And then the Panthers chasing down the Bruins is a real possibility. I think Florida is a better team. I, I think the Bruins have, I, won't, I don't want to say they're doing it with mirrors, but I think Tampa, uh, Florida has much more depth in their roster and much more star power. And eventually I think they're going to catch the bees. I wonder if what you think about both those circumstances in the Atlantic division. Yeah, I, I definitely think uh, the Panthers are are capable of it. We're seeing those both those teams. You know, earlier in the the season, it looked like you know pretty much a one dog race there in the Atlantic. Um, now Boston and Florida are kind of starting to pull away from from Tampa, Toronto, and Detroit. Um, so yeah, I think <clears throat> I definitely think uh, there's there's a race to be had there for the Atlantic title that'll obviously factor into. The President's Trophy as well. Those teams are sitting uh, second and uh, fourth, respectively. Boston second, uh, Florida fourth in the the race for the President's Trophy. Not that I would necessarily want to win that one. When was the last time a team that won the President's Trophy also won the Stanley Cup? It would have to go back a couple of years, I think, uh, to find that. So maybe I'll dig that up here as quick as I can, Paul. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, Florida definitely could, could tighten that up. And I would watch. I would watch out for the Red Wings. They're they're storming up. Uh, you know, we we thought they were going to be a better team. Looked like a slow start to the year, but um, you know they're they're in the mix. They're seven two and one in their last ten. That's a little bit better than Toronto's five five and zero. Oh. Um, so they're they're trying to catch their leaves, Paul. I know. I'm kind of worried to be honest with you. And uh, in terms of the Metro Division, AJ again, two different races going on there. The Canes and the Rangers seems to have separated themselves from the rest of the division. And uh, the Hurricanes starting to get things organized in terms of their offensive attack. I mentioned Teravine and back with with uh, his longtime partner Aho on the top line. The Rangers, though, uh, have all the pieces to contend for the top rung as well. They're getting offense. They're getting great goaltending from a pair of goalies we highlighted. Want a very stout defense, so that could come down to real coin flip at the end of the top of the division. But I'm watching out for the Devils. I expect a surge from this team going forward, and they are they have the Islanders and the Flyers within their sights. I think Philadelphia is primed for a bit of a, a slowdown in terms of their fortunes. And I mean, it's a tough race to to handicap because there's six teams still in the hunt, including your Penguins. I know you don't have much hope for them at the moment. But they're not out of the race by any means either. So a hot streak by any team can certainly vault them into contention for a playoff spot in this division. But I'm keeping my eye on the New Jersey Devils at the team with the most upward mobility there. What do you think? I absolutely agree. Uh, I think the, the 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 thing with looking at the Devils is you look at the roster and you're like, goalie. I mean, that's uh, maybe a few other things. But for the most part, you can look at that roster and say, yeah, if they got slightly better goaltending, they'd probably be in the mix here. And so they're they're more than any other team, I think, in, in the Metro or even in the East, where you can point to deficiencies and say, this is their one problem. Um, maybe Toronto. You could probably say goaltending about Toronto, too. Um, but for the most part, they have one major flaw that could be addressed at, at the deadline here. So um, I, I agree. They've got the most upward mobility uh, amongst this this race here. I don't have a lot of faith in the Islanders really sticking around. Um, you know, I think the Flyers are in a unique position where um, they're, they're, they're riding out the, the loss of their seemingly number one netminder, um, and they're, they're doing just fine with it. I did pull those numbers up, Paul. I was able to get that up real quick. The 2012-13 Chicago Blackhawks, the last team 
to win the President's Trophy and then follow that up with a Stanley Cup title. In fact, uh, the 14-15 Rangers are the last ones to even make a conference final after winning the President's Trophy. So not sure I want to win that one. <laughs> well, that takes us now to the Western Conference, AJ, and there's a couple of races at the top of the each division that I want to talk about with you. And uh, the first one features the Central Division, the Stars, the Avs, and the Jets are battling it out at the, for the top rung. And to your point, maybe a team doesn't want to shoot their bolt in an effort to get to the top if it costs them energy uh, sapping issues as the playoffs open. And that's the implication for the President's Trophy that has been uh, identified in the past. So Dallas, for me, looks like the class of this division because they're healthy. They've got no weaknesses that I can see. And they've got a really good pair of offensive types at the top of their defensive structure. They've got two solid forward lines. And they've got some real good depth on the third and fourth. So no weaknesses there. I think Colorado's battling a lot of injuries by comparison. And the Jets may have peaked a little bit too early, AJ. And uh, they rely on a smaller number of players. Don't have the depth to match up with either of the other two teams. So I think it's Dallas first, Colorado second, and Winnipeg third is how I see that division winding up. What about you? Uh, I'm still, as long as Nathan McKinnon's around, I'm, I'm still on Colorado potentially coming out on top of that division. Um, but look, they don't care. You know that you know the Avs don't care about that. They'll let they'll let Dallas have the top. Yeah, it could change who your matchup is um, in terms of you know the the postseason here. Uh, if they were to track down Dallas, they would uh, potentially right now they would get the Kings um, in a first round matchup. Um, but I think they'd be fine playing Winnipeg too. Um, so uh, you know, from my standpoint, I think as long as they have Nathan McKinnon. Uh, Colorado still the class of of the Central, and then in the Pacific Division, kind of an intriguing couple of races shaping up. AJ at the top, we're seeing Vancouver, which is probably the most uh, surprising element of of the teams that we've talked about this season, uh, having a great year. They're eight points clear of Vegas right now, but Vegas are the defending champs, and uh, they, despite the myriad of injuries, they're seven two and one in their last ten. Vancouver, uh, conversely, is eight uh, six one and three so both of them playing red hot levels of hockey you can say the same for the edmonton Oilers, but they they look to me like they may have shot their bolt a little bit too early after that long winning streak i wonder if they're going to come back to earth a little bit and we know that they're flawed uh, as well with a defensive structure that can at best be described as questionable and the goaltending is uh, a, a tweak away in terms of Skinner's health, he's played a lot of hockey, and you want always worry about a guy who's played as much hockey as he has in a stretch to stay healthy. So I'm really concerned about that aspect for the Oilers. I don't think they have what it takes to close ranks on the other two teams, but still, I don't think the second-place finisher is going to be relishing the opportunity of playing Edmonton. And then I don't want to even discount the LA Kings. They, they are a team that may have solved their goaltending issues by finding something there, and they have a defensive structure that should be the equal of any of the others in this division. So a four-pack of teams that should make the playoffs, and it sets up two very interesting first-round matchups. But I wonder what you see in this division at the end of the year. I, I see a division that comes with a significant prize compared to some of the others for getting first. Um, I, you're right. I, if I'm Edmonton, I don't want to play Vegas. Uh, and similarly, if I'm Vegas, I don't want to play Edmonton. That That is a tough, tough first-round matchup. The Canucks um, would likely get the Blues right now. Uh, maybe the Kings, maybe the Predators, depending on how things shake out. 
much rather have that matchup than playing uh, Vegas or, or Edmonton. In fact, maybe Edmonton should lose a few more games and let the Kings get into that third spot and make them go up against the Knights. <laughs> Probably be the smarter choice, to be honest with you. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, winning this division is huge. If Vegas were to track down Vancouver, then you've potentially got Vancouver playing Edmonton. Again, not a matchup either of those teams want in the first round. Well, AJ, this was a teaser for the next few weeks. We're going to lean heavily on trade rumors and how the teams are lining up for the races that remain before us before the end of the season. The trade deadline just around the corner a couple of weeks away. That'll be a big focus. So we're all geared up for uh, the most fun part of the NHL season that I, that I always look forward to where uh, roster changes could may really have an impact on the end of season standings and, and where the power really lies. So we'll focus on that. And we hope we're counting on you to come back and listen to upcoming episodes of Road Wire's podcast with Statsman and AJ. As always, we remind you that we're here to help you with all things relating to your enjoyment of fantasy hockey and contending for league titles in your own or groups of friends and uh, bragging rights at stake. So I always value that almost as much as the prize money, in fact. <laughs> we remind you to send your comments or questions on Twitter where you can follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. So long, everybody. We'll see you next week.